Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377 next to where they're building the new townhomes. Come on out and see us. We'd love to meet with you this morning, 10 a.m. for Sunday school, morning worship at 11 a.m. We're meeting at the Early Chamber of Commerce while we await the completion of a brand new worship facility, which is coming along just nicely. Ceiling tiles are going in, and we're waiting for the arrival of our electrical fixture so we can install those as well. You can see the new facility at 599 Sunrise in Early. So come on out and see us, Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., One. For East Industrial Drive in the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility. If you can't make it this morning, then maybe sometime in the future. And remember, you can always check us out online at point2life.wordpress.com, point2life.wordpress.com, and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life. This morning will be in Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9, we'll read the first 15 verses. Ezra chapter 9. Verse 1, now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and sat down astonied. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because the transgression of those that had been carried away... And I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O my God, I am ashamed, and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens." Since the days of our fathers have we been in great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to be captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O God... What shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, 
Neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that is come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. The book of Ezra records the return of the Israelites to the Holy Land following the Babylonian captivity. Now, the story behind the Babylonian captivity is that, of course, you know the history of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt, fed them in the wilderness for 40 years, then took them into the promised land, telling them to uh, drive the natives out of the promised land and not to be a partaker of their abominations, not to commit idolatry with them. In fact, that's one of the things that God told them was to not commit idolatry and that committing idolatry would lead to them being conquered by their enemies and taken into captivity. And that was a promise that God had made from the very beginning to Israel. And so Israel over time, not only did they not drive the inhabitants from the land of Israel, from the Holy Land, but they also began to partake in their abominations. And so God allowed Israel to be taken into a 70-year captivity in the nation of Babylon. And so Ezra records the return from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The people of Israel had sinned grievously. They had committed idolatry. And in case you're worried about God being so mean as to allow people to be taken into slavery simply for burning incense to, to little statues and, and little figurines and, and that sort of thing, that wasn't all that was entailed with idolatry. The idolatry of that day involved sexual immorality, involved in some cases child sacrifice, and it was a very gruesome, very grotesque practice. And the nation of Israel prior to the Babylonian captivity had gotten caught up in all of this and had begun doing this. They had sinned grievously and they had lived destructive lifestyles. It's very destructive to sacrifice children. It's very destructive to engage in sexual immorality. And if you've ever been through a situation where a marriage has been destroyed by an adulterous relationship, or if there have been uh, STDs involved, you know that this is a this is very destructive. Sexual immorality is very destructive. And so the people of Israel had sinned grievously. They had committed this idolatry. They had committed the sexual immorality, which had destroyed families, which had destroyed their bodies, which had destroyed their nation. And so to put an end to this and to transform Israel, God allowed the captivity to take place. In the book of Ezra here in chapter 9, Ezra talks about the grace of God in the captivity, that allowing Israel to be conquered and taken away to Babylon was actually an act of God's grace because he used the captivity to transform Israel. 
God's people. God used the captivity to transform Israel so that they would no longer be idolaters and they would no longer be sinning grievously and they would no longer be living these destructive lifestyles. He used it to change them. And God explicitly said that in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a popular verse to share with anybody who is going through a tough time because it tells us that God's plans for us is not to have bad things in our life. It's not for us to suffer. It's not that he would just allow us to be tortured and to be destroyed, but that God wants good things for us, that his thoughts are thoughts of peace and not evil to give us an expected end. Now, you have to be very careful with Jeremiah 29, 11, because Jeremiah 29, 11 does not tell us that God's will is for us to have a bigger house, a nicer car, a better paying job, a big promotion, well-behaved kids, and everything is just hunky-dory. When God spoke the words in Jeremiah 29, 11, he was talking to this same nation that he, that in the book of Ezra, we're talking about coming back out of the captivity. He was talking to the nation as it was going into captivity. The nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29 was in the process of being conquered by Babylon and was in the process of being taken away into captivity, being conquered and carried away as slaves to a foreign country. And what God was telling Israel during that time that they were being conquered was that the thoughts that he thought toward them were thoughts of peace and not evil, that his will was not to see these horrible things happen to them, but that he wanted to give them an expected end. In other words, God was allowing this captivity to come about because God was looking at what Israel would be on the other side of this captivity after it was over. After the Babylonians would be conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and the Medes and the Persians would tell the Israelites that they could go home. God was telling them that all of this suffering they were about to go through was with a purpose, and they would be better off on the other side of it, that he was going to use this captivity to transform them from the wretched people that they were committing idolatry and sexual immorality and child sacrifice to being a people that actually honored and glorified him and reaped the blessings of having that right lifestyle in the Lord. And so you have this nation of people that they have rebelled against God, they have sinned against God, they have made destructive choices, and God would have been completely justified in allowing that country to just have been destroyed. And history is full of civilizations that were completely destroyed by their enemies. But God in his grace did not allow the complete destruction of Israel. He allowed Israel to be taken into captivity so that he could transform them so that they could learn, so that they could grow, so that they could have a spiritual revival. And as that process took place at the right time, God moved the pieces into line to allow Israel to go back home. And that's why Ezra says that God was graceful in the captivity and that the punishment that Israel received was less than the sin that they actually committed because God allowed them to survive being conquered, to survive 70 years in captivity. And God allowed them to come back into the land where they could rebuild the temple. 
in many ways, you look at that plot line, you look at that trajectory of Israel that goes from being a sinful nation to being taken into captivity and the suffering that went along there to then being released and returned to the promised land. In many ways, our own lives, our own spiritual lives mirror that trajectory. We all start out as sinners. We start out as sinners. And in our sinful state, we rebel against the God who gave us life. I remember when I was younger, before I was saved, before I knew the Lord as my Savior, I remember I was one rebellious dude. I had my own way of living life. I had my own set of values. I was going to live by those, and nobody was going to tell me what to do. And I was willing to go to church and play the religion game But if you dared make me think about my own sinful choices, or if you dared call my sinful choices into question, I would have been highly offended, and I would have told you that you were judgmental, that you were hypocritical. And there was at one point, this one lady was telling me that what I was doing was wrong and that I wasn't living up to God's standard, and I told her that if uh, what she was offering was Christianity, that I wanted no part of it. I was an extremely rebellious teenager. I was an extremely rebellious young adult. We all start out as sinners. And in that sinful state, we rebel against God who gave us life. We reject the God who blessed us richly. Instead, we glorify ourselves. The way we see the world is the right way. The way we think is the right way to think. What we think is right and wrong is right and wrong. And you can't tell me any different, even if God says something different, then you can't tell me that. There are people today that are, they claim to be atheist, but they but their atheism isn't true atheism, because atheism, atheism believes that there is no God. But you've got a brand of atheism today that they see the God of the Bible and they openly reject him. You've got atheists today that... They will tell you that if God does exist, that they think he's a bad guy and they will fight against him. You have people that think like that today, okay? There are people who reject God and who rebel against the God who gave them life. And so in our sinful state, that's what we do. And we reject God who blessed us richly. Instead, we glorify ourselves. We're like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon in the book of Daniel who looks out on his kingdom and says, Did I not build this kingdom with my own two hands? We tend to think like that. We look around at our blessings and we think, yeah, I've got it going on. I know exactly what to do. I've got a handle on life. I know exactly how this came about. I did it. We steal God's glory. And then instead of worshiping God and praising God, we tend to worship the blessings that he has given us. And in the course of all this, we tend to make destructive life choices. We get involved with drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality. We tend to not honor our responsibilities and walk away from our families. Uh, There's a number of different things that we can do, destructive choices. We can go down the list. I can preach for years on the destructive choices that people can make in their sin. Yet, instead of destroying us in in his fury, God works to redeem us, to bring us over to his side. You see, back when I was 20 years old and I'm spouting these blasphemous things and I'm spouting these prideful things and I'm, I'm rejecting God, I'm, I, am, I am being who I want to be and it wasn't a good dude. 
in that state, God could have destroyed me. He could have allowed me to be killed in a traffic accident. He could have, he could have taken my life somewhere or the other. He could have allowed me to be incarcerated, but he didn't do it. Now, if you are affected by any of those things, incarceration, tragic traffic accidents, I don't want you to think that the judgment of God has come upon you. I don't, I don't want you to, to think that God did that to you intentionally. I'm just telling you what God didn't do to me. He didn't destroy me. He could have had a building fall down on me. He didn't allow that to happen. Okay, so I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want to put anything in your mind that's, that's not the case. But what I do want you to realize is that God has options when it comes to dealing with us. He can just destroy us as we rebel against him, but he doesn't do that. He works in our lives and brings things into our lives to redeem us, to teach us, to bring us over to his side. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty and the cost for our sin. You know, I was told a story about a man who took his son out to the barn and he told his son, every time you do something bad, I'm going to drive a nail in this wood. And every time you do something good, I'm going to take the nail out. Well, this kid was a very badly behaved kid. And so this kid, you know, every time he did something bad, this father would go back to the barn and put another nail in that board. Well, the kid goes back there and sees the board, and he sees it is riddled with nails. So he decides he doesn't like that. He doesn't like the fact that the board that represents his life has a bunch of nails in it. So he goes around and starts doing a bunch of good deeds. And as he starts doing those good deeds, his father goes out and he pulls these nails out of this wood. He gets down to that last nail and he wants to do something really special. So he builds up, he does something really special, and his dad goes and pulls that last nail out. And he goes, hey, dad, look, all the nails are gone. And his dad says, yeah, son, but look at the wood. Look at all the scars, all the holes that are left because those nails were there in the first place. See, our sin carries with it destructive choices, and those destructive choices leave scars, some of them on ourselves, some of them on other people. But Christ took those nails upon himself so that we could have a fresh board. He took all of that upon himself. He paid the price for that. He took the consequences of our actions. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and he was buried and he rose again to give us new life and the hope of going to heaven for eternity. After Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, God began working in our lives to bring us to salvation, to work within our lives, to show us our need for salvation, and to bring us to that point of repentance. He works to bring us to his side. That's that agape love, that self-sacrificial love that has in it the redemptive quality, that hates the sin but loves the sinner and wants to see the sinner changed so that they're now in your fellowship. That's how God operates. That's his character. That's who he is. And that's what he wants from us. So when you see how God has gone above and beyond to redeem you and to bring you into his fellowship, into his kingdom, how do you respond to that? Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10 remind us of our sin, our redemption, and our response. First, let's look at our sin. The Bible says in verses 1 and 2, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, 
even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. The people had not separated themselves from the tribes of the land. Now, this is not so much about physical separation as it is about spiritual separation. It isn't a sin to live among sinners. It is a sin to adopt the sinner's way of life, the sinner's way of thinking, and committing their abominations and their sins with them. The people of Israel were actually being led into this sin by their rulers. And this is the exact same thing that happened before the captivity. They intermarried, they committed idolatry with their heathen spouses, and King Solomon was actually kind of a poster child for this. And so in verse 10, Ezra says, And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments. The people had disobeyed God, and they had turned their back on God. Sin takes root in our lives the day that we look at the world and we think to ourselves, that's what I want. When we join ourselves to people of the world, either through marriage or business contracts, we join them and begin to adapt their values. And when that happens, we adapt and we adopt their sinful practices. Then we wind up not only rebelling against God, but turning our backs on him altogether. And that's why Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. If you put a, if you put a, a flock of sheep out in the pasture and you leave them unattended, they're going to wander off and wander around. And, the, you know, someone will stay together. They'll scatter about. It'll, it'll become pretty disorganized. You've got to be able to manage livestock very well to keep sheep. You've got to have a, a close space to, to keep them in. You can't just put them on a 500-acre pasture and let them go and come back and check in on them in a couple of days. You won't be able to find some of them. You've got to have good control over where to keep them. At least that's my understanding of how to raise sheep. Obviously, I'm, I'm not in the business. But all we like sheep have turned astray and we have turned everyone to his own way that means every one of us has gone our own direction we've adopted our own idea of life and what we want to do and we've left god completely out of it but isaiah 53 6 says the lord hath laid on him on christ the iniquity of us all sin takes root in our lives the day we look at the world and think to ourselves that's what i want sin should be a grievous thing to us it should make us mourn, and we should be ashamed of it. In verse 6, Ezra says, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass has grown up unto the heavens. This guy is ashamed of himself, and he's ashamed of the people that, that have, he's ashamed of his people that have been in sin. Does your sin cause you to mourn? Are you ashamed of your sin? Or are your sinful days the good old days? Your sin should cause you to mourn. Your sin should be something that you're ashamed of. So that's our sin. But God doesn't leave us in our sin, does he? He redeems us. Let's look at our redemption, verses 8 and 9. Ezra says, And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. And to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, 
Yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Our redemption, God gives us grace, and he uses the situations in our life to redeem us. The redemption was paid for by Christ on the cross, but then he uses the situations in our lives to guide us into that redemption. Ezra notes how God used the captivity to redeem Israel. He notes how God showed grace in doing this because through the captivity, God lightened their eyes. He opened their eyes to their spiritual condition and he opened their eyes to the truth. And as he did this, he revived them. Ezra then discusses how God didn't forsake them, but went through the captivity with them, reviving them, transforming them, then giving them mercy to be able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. He used the hardship to redeem the nation. He used the hardship to transform the nation. And he works in our own lives as well. Instead of condemning us to death for our sin, God works in our lives to redeem us and to revive us. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30 say, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. The Bible says in Romans 8:29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now that verse can be problematic for many because there's a lot of debate in theological circles about foreknowledge and predestination. So without opening that can of worms, because we've only got about five minutes left in this broadcast, let me tell you that when the Bible says that God foreknows, that means that he knows every aspect, detail about you. He knows every character insight, and he knows how you'll react to things. He knows you better than you know you. And so when God foreknows you, he knows what you will respond to. And knowing what you will respond to and what will bring you to repentance and faith, he predestinates that. He predestines that to happen in your life. You are then left up with a choice as to whether or not you follow through on that. But that's what these verses are telling you, that God knows you from the inside out. And so he works in your life to bring you to that point of repentance and faith. The question is, will you respond to him? These verses show how God works in our lives to bring us to repentance, to redeem us, and then to transform us. Have your eyes been lightened? Have you been revived? Have you seen the truth of your spiritual condition? And have you responded? And that brings us to our response. In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra finds out that the people have been mingling with the people of the land. They've been intermarrying, and they have been adopting their abominations. By the way, biblical law on intermarriage is everything to do with spirituality and nothing to do with ethnicity. Intermarriage in the scripture, the reason Israel was told not to intermarry with the tribes of the land is because God knew if they intermarried, they would begin committing idolatry with the tribes of the land, which is exactly what happened. The biblical law against intermarriage has to do with marrying people who don't believe in God, marrying people who are in rebellion against God, marrying people who live abominable lifestyles. Okay, that's what God bans you from marrying into. 
ethnicity is not even a factor. Because the Bible tells us there is neither Jew nor Greek, but we are all one in Christ. Okay? So ethnicity is not a part of this. The biblical rules against intermarriage are spiritual and not ethnic. And so Ezra prays his long prayer of repentance and apology to God and begging for his forgiveness. And then he addresses the matter with the people. And in verse 4, the people say, Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We will also be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. The people had come together and wept over their national sin. Then they resolved to correct their sin. And this was their encouragement to do so. The proper response to God is to repent, to turn from what you're doing and to trust the Lord. That's faith, repentance and faith. The proper response to God is to turn from what you're doing, turn toward God, trust him, and then change your behavior, correct your sin. And that's what they were doing here in the book of Ezra when you read on over into chapter 10. And that's what we need to do in our lives. God has been gracious to redeem us from our sin. Have you accepted that redemption? And if you have, are you living that redemption? LifePoint Baptist Church meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m. We meet for morning worship at 11 a.m. And while we await the completion of our new worship center, we are meeting at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377 next to where they're building those new townhomes. We'd love to meet you this morning. If we can't meet you this morning, maybe check us out online, pointtolife.wordpress.com or facebook.com slash pointtolife. May God bless you today.